please take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we are in a series of messages that I've entitled One Mission. We started last week by looking in the book of Psalms and discovering in the book of Psalms, really, the plan for evangelism. We said that evangelism begins with not us going, but it begins with a burden. And as we pray and ask God to give us a burden, a desire for lost people, a heart for lost people, then we begin to see people the way Jesus sees people. We have that burden, then we go, then we sow, and then he allows us to reap. And this is the method that we see not only in the book of Psalms, but over and over and over throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the plan for God's people is to go and to sow and to reap, to go and to sow and to reap. And what we understand is, is, is it must begin with a passion. Before we can get to the mission, it begins with a passion. It begins with us on our knees praying that God would give us a passion, that God would give us a burden, that God would break our heart for the lost people, not only in our community, but around the world. And we're praying that God gives us a passion. Once God establishes that passion in our heart, then we can move from passion to mission. We can move from from a burden to seeing hearts and lives changed. It begins, first of all, with a change in our own heart and in our own life. Before we can see the change out there, a change must first happen in here. Someone said, and they said it very well, that the church will succeed. The church will succeed, but it may succeed in the things that really don't matter. The fact is that making disciples and going out and sharing our faith, evangelism is is what we have failed in. We failed in this mission that God has called us to. In 1929, the Soviet, the communists in 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 the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, decided that they were going to stop the church of Jesus Christ. They were going to stop Christianity in its tracks in communist Russia. And so here's what they did. They didn't go to the Christians and say, well, you're banned from going to worship on Sunday. They were smarter than that. These communists knew history, and they knew that if you tried to keep Christians from going to worship, then actually what that's going to do is it's going to cause the church to grow even larger. You can't stop the church from growing. And so they knew that if we told them you can't go to a house of worship and worship on Sunday morning, that that would cause, that would backfire on them. So you know what they did? They told the Christians in 1929 in Soviet Russia that that you can go to your place of worship. That's fine. You can sing your hymns, you can sing your songs, you can preach your messages, but as long as you keep it within the four walls of your church, do not proselytize. Do not take the message of Jesus outside the walls of the church. And this is how communist Russia overcame the church in the 1930s. Unfortunately, what the Soviets did by decree in 1929 we are doing by default today. We're not taking the message outside the walls and we're free to do it. Understand there's 138,000 more lost people in our world today than there was yesterday. 138,000 more lost people in our world today than there was this time yesterday. In seven days, according to the growth trends of world population, there will be one million more people in our world without Jesus Christ in seven days. In one week, 
our world will have an extra 1 million people who don't know Jesus. 146,000 people die every day with only 2% of them knowing Christ. If you lined up all the lost people in our world today, you put them shoulder to shoulder, it would cross the earth 30 times. Our world is lost. Our world is in desperate need of a savior. And the greatest failure of our generation is silence. We're not taking the message outside the walls of the church. And according to God's word, we cannot be silent about this. We cannot be silent. We, we must share. We must share our faith. We must share our conviction. And today, I, I want to give you a plan that will change the world. I want to give you a plan. The plan is more of a process, but nonetheless, it is a plan that, that is 2,000, two centuries, uh, two, two millennia year old, is 2,000 years old. Jesus gave us this plan, and if we would simply apply this plan to our life, it will radically change the world. It did in the first century, and it will, it will again here in the 21st century. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Matthew chapter 28, we'll begin reading in verse number 17. Your Bible says, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Holy Spirit, who inspired this word, May you take the word off of these pages and apply it to our heart that we may follow what it is that you have commanded us to do. For God, we want to be world changers. We want to see this world come to faith in you. So Lord, apply these principles to our heart today, we ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Four points to the message today. Four things that I believe that if we apply or that we see, it will change the world. Now, before we get into the actual plan, we have to see where the heart of the people were. When Jesus was speaking, let's see the posture of the people. When Jesus was speaking, Matthew chapter 28, we call this the Great Commission, but you've heard me say that the Great Commission is not only found in Matthew 28, it's found in Mark 16, it's found in the Gospel of Luke, found in the Gospel of John, it's found in the book of Acts. Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he spoke to his disciples and he said to go. He said, go into all the world. And, and he said, uh, to, to, to change the world, you must go into the world. And as we're reading Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, I've read this numerous of times, and, and I, I come to 17. We often skip over verse 17. But I came to verse 17 this past week, and I, I saw this. I read these words, and I thought, huh. What's going on here? I, I, I've, I've seen this over and over. I, I've, I've constantly tried to understand what was going on. Verse 17 says that they, the followers worshipped him, but then some did what? Some doubted. I thought about that. Have you ever wondered why they doubted? What were they doubting in? Why is it that these followers of Jesus would doubt? Well, let's first of all understand the backstory. What's going on? What's, hap what's happened? What's transpired in just the past few days? Jesus died. He was resurrected. He showed himself to his disciples over multiple occasions. He showed himself. There was a man who did doubt. His name was Thomas. 
Thomas, the disciple, said, I will not believe that it was Jesus until I can see the, the scars in his hands and I can take my hand and I can touch the, 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 the scar, the, the hole that's in his side from where the spear stabbed him. And I will not believe until I can actually see. And so we call him Doubting Thomas. And so Jesus showed up to Doubting Thomas and, and Thomas did not even have to touch. He, he saw Christ and the Bible says he fell down on his feet and he began to worship Jesus as the risen Savior. So you see, I don't believe that when verse 17 says they worshiped yet some doubted, I don't believe that they were doubting in Jesus Christ. No way. They've seen Jesus alive. They, they're putting their necks on the line, believing that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. He's alive. They, 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 he's been teaching them. He's been walking with them. He's been eating with them. He's been with them for days, and he's been teaching them. There's no question in their mind that who Jesus is. So their doubts are not in doubting Jesus. Instead, I believe that their doubts are in that they're doubting themselves. I took this word and I looked it up in a lexicon. A lexicon is just a, a dictionary. It's a, it's a Bible dictionary. And I, I looked up this Greek word, uh, doubt, and, and, and here, is, here is what they, uh, the definition. It means to be uncertain about a course of action. It means to be hesitant. This word doubt in verse 17 in Matthew 28, it means that, that they were hesitant of a course of action that was taking place. That means that they were not doubting Jesus, they were doubting themselves. Jesus, what you're going to be going away. You've been telling us that you're going to go away. We finally get it now. So that means that you're about to leave us. And, and I don't know if we're going to be able to carry on this mission like you carried on. I mean, what if they persecute us? What if they ridicule us? What, what, if they, what if they kill us? We don't know if we're going to have what it takes. And so they doubted. They, they had this hesitancy that, that we may not be able to do this thing that you called us to do. And they're, they're freaking out. They're, they're flipping out. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, stop. Hush. And don't miss this. Don't miss the gravity of the next words of Jesus. They're freaking out. They're flipping out. We can't do this. And Jesus said, guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. You can do it. There's no question you can do it. All authority, all power has been given to me and I've given it to you. We see the posture of the people. The disciples were hesitant, but we see Jesus coming very quickly and he, he's squashing that hesitancy and he, he tells us that his power is present. We move from the posture to the power. And he said, my power is present. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Now realize again that before Jesus deals with what the church is to do, he's dealing with the heart of man. These people are freaking out. If you're freaking out, it's not going to be good to say, well, while you're freaking out, here's what you're supposed to do, right? That's going to make you freak out even more. If, if they're freaking out, am I going to die? I'm hesitant. I don't know if I can do this. And then Jesus said, now I want you to go into the whole world and I want you to tell them that I'm alive. <laughs> he didn't go straight to the mission, did he? No, again, he spoke to the heart. Remember what we said last week. It begins with a bird. It begins with the heart. It begins with passion. He started with authority. But before he goes to the mission, he, he speaks about the church's authority. We cannot carry out verse 19 until we understand verse 18. 
You see, it's not enough to have the ability to do something. You must also have the authority. I have the ability to take a handgun into the airport and go to security, but I do not have the authority to get through security. Now, we all have the ability to go there and do it. Just because you have the ability doesn't mean that you got the authority. But if you have the authority, then you will have the ability to do whatever it takes. Jesus said, I have given you all authority has been given unto me. And so I'm commissioning you to go. And so there's no question, there is no doubt what it is that we are supposed to do. That You don't have to pray, do I need to go share my faith? Do I need to preach the gospel? The answer is yes, all authority has been given unto him and he's given that to us. You say, well, I don't have the ability. That's wrong because you have the authority. You have the ability. Just because you have the ability doesn't mean you have the authority, but because you have the authority, you do have the ability. Now, his plan isn't always easy, though, is it? Sometimes he calls us to, to very difficult things. Sometimes he, he leads us in, in, in paths that, that are very hard. It, it, sometimes the path that we walk down is, is, is dark and sometimes scary. But friend, listen, the, if, if, if Jesus holds the whole world in his hands, don't you think that he can hold your world in his hands? Don't you think he is capable if he has the authority of the whole world, don't you think, can't you trust him with your little snippet of the world? Don't you think he's going to walk and, and work through it? Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me. In other words, he has the authority over the physical world and the spiritual world. He has authority. He has power over every king, every president, every dictator, every military general on planet earth. It also means that he has authority over every angel, every demon, even the devil himself. Therefore, we don't have to ask permission if we should go and, and preach the gospel. We must share the word of God boldly. We have the authority in the word. Then we move from his power being present, and now he gives us his plan. His plan is provided. He says, all authority has been given unto me. Now go, therefore, verse 19, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Here Jesus gives us his plan. He says, if you want to know what the plan is, understand, first of all, he saw where the heart of the people were. We're hesitant. We're fearful. I shared with you last week that I'm fearful. Even before I go and knock on the door, it happens. There's, there's a hesitancy, and, and that's part of sharing, but Jesus deals with that. He says, listen, you don't be trusting in yourself. Trust in me. I've been given all authority, all power. Rest with me. I give that to you. So we dealt with that. Okay, now let's move on. He said, now I've given you this power. I've given you my strength. Now I want you to go. And his plan is threefold. First of all, he says, I want you to go, and I want you to make disciples. The first part of his plan is to make disciples. Go, therefore, into all the world making disciples. Making disciples. Every, here's a simple truth. Every follower of Jesus should go and make other followers of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus should go and make other followers of Jesus. Now, in order to go into the world, we must first get outside of the church. In order to go out into the world where lost people are, we must get outside of the church. The, the church is not a country club for Christians. Do you realize that the church is the only organization on this earth that exists for the, the solely exists for the benefits and reaching non-members? 
That's what the church is all about. We are to go and we are to make disciples, see lost people saved. And then once we make disciples, we are to mark disciples. He says, go into all the world, teaching them. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We make disciples by going and sharing. How is a person saved? A person is saved uh, by believing in the gospel. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You see, salvation is not based upon going to church. Salvation is not based upon being a good person. The way you come into salvation relationship with Jesus is through a relationship. You, you, you make him Savior and Lord of your life. And when you do that, you are made a disciple. Once you are made a disciple, then you are marked as a disciple. You are to be baptized. Baptism is the first step of obedience following your salvation. Now I'm going to say this, and I may offend some people, but that's okay because it's biblical. It's a biblical offense. If you have not been baptized by immersion following your salvation experience, you are living in disobedience. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we see that first of all comes salvation, then comes baptism. You say, well, I was sprinkled as a child. Again, I, I'm not trying to do away with any type of re, uh, uh, moment that you may have had that, that sparked you onto your path for the Lord. I, I, I'm not debating that, but what I'm saying is let's go back to the Bible and what does the Bible say? Understand that we first of all make a disciple, then once we make a disciple, we are to mark a disciple. It's right here in Matthew 28. We are to go, we are to see them saved. Once they're saved, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, when we baptize, baptism does not make a disciple. Baptism marks a disciple. Baptism's a lot like this wedding ring. I can take my ring off, and if I take my ring off, am I still married? Well, I sure hope so. I hope taking my ring off doesn't, doesn't annul the marriage. Taking the ring off doesn't, th this, ring, this ring, while it means a lot to me, well, all this ring does is it's symbolic of a reality that has already taken place. You see, when I, I put this ring on, it tells the whole world of reality that has already taken place in my life, that I've been married, that I have a wife. Baptism is a lot like this ring. Baptism does not save us. Baptism just tells the whole world of reality that has already taken place in your life. You are marked as a believer. You're telling the congregation, you're telling the church, you're telling the world that I have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, and it's the picture of baptism. It's the picture of baptism that's so important. You see, the baptism picture is, is, is what Jesus did, right? The, 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 the water is a picture of a grave. It, it's a watery grave. And when we step into that water, you'll notice that when we baptize people here at Aloma Church, the, the people that we baptize always cross their arms like this. Have you ever noticed that? We ask them to cross their arms like this. And I've had people say, why is it that when you baptize someone, Pastor, why is it that you always have them cross their arms the reason why I have them cross their arms, and I explain this backstage as we're preparing to go into the baptistry, I want you to cross your arms because in the 1800s when they would bury someone, they would always cross their arms as they were laying them to rest. Why is that? This is a picture of death. This is a picture of surrender. If I'm holding like this, this is a, it's a picture, and that's what baptism is, right? It's a picture of death. It's a picture of surrender. 
And so it's the person stepping into the grave, and, and we, we, we baptize them, we, we, we place them in the grave, and I tell them backstage, because people do freak out before they get in the baptistry in front of all the people. People, you know, they, they're a little nervous, and so I try to break the ice by, by saying, you know, you're going to be baptized, and it's a picture of Jesus' death, and, and Jesus, you know, he was buried, he was buried for three days, and I, I promise you, though, I will not keep you under the water for three days. I, as soon as the bubbles stop, I, I promise I'll bring you up before the bubbles stop. And sometimes I get a laugh, sometimes I get a cry, sometimes I get people running away. I, you know, it, 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 but, but you know, the, the, the point is that when they go into the water, it's a picture of being buried with Christ. And then the resurrection is coming up out of, because you see, he didn't stay in the grave, did he? He arose again. So the picture of baptism is so important because it shows of what has already taken place in our life, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. It's a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We make disciples, we go, we mark disciples, we baptize. Over and over and over again in Scripture, listen to me. Read the book of Acts. You cannot get away from this fact that as soon as a person was saved, they were immediately baptized. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 people were saved, the Bible says, then those who gladly received his word were then baptized. 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. In Acts chapter 8, we see Philip, the, and, and, and he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah. He asked Philip, what am I reading? Philip says, you're reading about Jesus, and he shared Christ with him. He made a disciple. That Ethiopian got saved. They were driving through. They saw a, 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 puddle, a, a puddle of water, a lake, and they said, what's preventing me from being baptized? Acts chapter 9, when Paul was saved, Paul was immediately baptized. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius got saved, and then he went back, and his whole household got saved, and then they were all baptized. Again, baptism does not make you a believer. At the age of seven years old in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, I was, I was baptized. And when I stepped into that water, I was lost sinner. When I went into that water, I was a lost sinner. When I came up out of that water, I was a lost sinner. There's nothing salvific in that water. There's nothing in that water that can save you. It's literally water that comes out of the same faucet that you drink from. There's nothing salvific in that water. But the power is in that it marks us as a believer. It's following in the obedience of Jesus Christ himself who is baptized. And so we, we make disciples, then we mark disciples, and then finally we are to mature disciples. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. So we go and we, we make disciples by sharing our faith. We mark disciples by baptizing them, and then we mature disciples. We, we don't just leave Christians as babies. The, the Bible says when you come to faith in Christ, you are a baby in Christ. And we have to nurture and we have to, 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 to minister and we have to put you into places where you can serve and, and, and all of this. And we mature disciples. And this is the plan that Jesus gave us. That we are to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are to baptize them following their salvation. And then we are to take them and we are to teach them the principles of Scripture. Take that young, young convert and teach them the commands of Christ. And a true mark, you know the true mark of, of, a, of a Christian is a true mark of a believer? If you want to say, you know, I, here's what I should be doing, because there's a lot of things that, that we think that we should be doing. 
there's a lot of good things that, that we ought to be doing. And we, we measure, we, we have a wrong scale. We, we measure things completely wrong. The best mark to see if you are fulfilling what Christ has called you to do is if are you fulfilling this command. The mark of a believer is are you fulfilling, are you making other believers? Are you making other Christ followers? And yes, we have the power of Christ behind us, the presence of Jesus beside us, and there's no way we can fail in our mission. We just have to go. Fourthly and finally, his presence is promised. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the church has many functions, but Jesus has given us simply one commission. The church is to be a house of prayer, yes. The church is to be a discipleship, yes. The church is to, 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 to minister to the hungry and the widows and the poor and the orphans, yes, 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 yes. All of these things the church is to do. But there is one commission, one thing where Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to do this. And that's what we find right here. He said, I promise you my authority and I will bless you. The one thing that Jesus has authorized us to do, sadly, is the one thing that we never do. In fact, we're promised that when we go and we share that we're never going to be alone. He's always going to be with us. Our, our one mission must be in seeing and sharing with the lost. Have you ever heard of the online encyclopedia called Newpedia? Anybody ever heard of Newpedia before? Well, back in 2000, two men by the name of Jimmy Walls and Larry Singer discussed uh, they decided that they would try to provide an alternative to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Anybody remember the Encyclopedia Britannica? Yeah. How many of us were duped into buying the Encyclopedia Britannica? And we, they, they came across to our house, and they, they had these beautiful books, and they promised, you know, you, you buy this, it's going to make you so smart, and it's going to make you look, you put it on your bookshelf, and they, they look so good. And, and, and then if you buy it, then we'll send you one every single year, and you get an updated one that never really even makes sense. But still yet, we, we have all of these. And so the, my moms, I think the, the presidents, I, I would use them for, for, for school, and the president stopped it like Jimmy Carter. And I was never even alive when Jimmy Carter was, was president, but still yet he was the last president. Had nothing, nothing in there about George Bush or, 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 or any of these other people. And I, I'm looking at this and saying, you know, why did you get duped into buying these books that once you buy them, they're, they're outdated? She said, well, it was either the Encyclopedia Britannica or it was a, a, a vacuum cleaner. That's what the guy was selling. So I went with the books. I already had a vacuum cleaner. And so, so the Encyclopedia Britannica, the, the, these people in 2000, uh, Singer and Walls, they, they decided that they were going to uh, revolutionize the world. And they were, uh, they, they were so excited because, you know, Al Gore has now invented the Internet in 2000. And so now they're able to use this, this great invention by, by a Tennessean by the name of Al Gore that he's, they're able to now upload information and, and it can be updated with time. They can always add to it. And so they, they started this company called New. Here's the process. They wanted to, they went to all these very smart people, these scholars, these PhDs, these, uh, these, these people that knew all these topics, and, and they partnered with them, and they said, we want you to write an article, just like it would be in an encyclopedia. I'm speaking to students who have no idea what an encyclopedia is. There, there were books uh, that, that gives you information, uh, and there's a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> 
I guess it's trying to tell them what an atlas is too, right? I, I don't know. But uh, so, so they, they were trying to do this and they, they put it online, Newpedia. And, and so in a year's time, they, they, the process was they were going to these scholars and, and the, these PhDs, all these smart people, and, and they were asking them to write uh, these, these articles. And then it went through a peer review. They made sure that, that what they wrote was accurate. And then it went online. There's a huge problem that they realized about halfway through the year, though. They couldn't get these smart people to write these articles. In fact, after 12 months, you know how many articles they had online with Newpedia? A whopping 11. 11 articles, that's all they had. But good for them that halfway into the year, they realized, okay, maybe, maybe our, our, what we're wanting to do is a good thing. We're wanting to update the Encyclopedia Britannica. We, we want to, uh, to, to get this information to the masses. But while, while our, our, our end game is right, maybe our process is flawed. And so they changed the process. And halfway through that year, they developed a, another online uh, company called Wikipedia. Ever heard of that one? Walls and Singer, they, they, they changed their method. Instead of going to scholars to write the articles, they went to common people, people who had a passion. And they asked these people that had a passion, will you write about what you're passionate about? And, and so they went to people, and, and there was a, a guy that was passionate about Alabama football. I have no idea why you would be passionate about Alabama football, but they found this guy that was passionate. And, he, and, and, and you know what you find when you find somebody who's passionate about something? They, they know every national championship, and, and I'll give it to them. They've got a lot of them. They, they've got too many. But they, they, they know all of the national championships. They know all the coaches. They, they know all of the, uh, the players' names. They, they, they're passionate, and so they're writing this stuff, and, and they submit it to Wikipedia and it goes through an approval process to make sure that the information is accurate, then it goes online. In the first year, know how many articles they had in Wikipedia? Newpedia, they had 11. Wikipedia, they had over 100,000. Now here's the damning thing for the church. The church of Jesus Christ operates as a Newpedia church. Only, only the elite can go out and accomplish the mission. We've got the mission to share our faith, but you gotta have a seminary education. You gotta be a deacon, you gotta be ordained. You, you, you gotta have enough sermons, you gotta have enough training. You gotta have this and you gotta have this and you gotta have this, you gotta have this. And what we found is that the new Pedia model for the church and evangelism doesn't work. What would happen if we as the church adopted the Wikipedia model, that we understand, you know who the best ministers of our church are? Every eye and every face that's looking at me right now, you're the best minister this church has. Every one of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some of us who do this professionally. There's some of us who have been trained in this, but we're all called to be, to be missionaries and, and ministers of the gospel. What would happen if we all became passionate about the gospel of Jesus and we went out and we followed this model? You know what would happen? The same thing that happened with Wikipedia. If that changed the world, we would change the world. We would turn the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I think that as we think about this mission, if, as we think about the passion that God's called us to, 
there's no question in my mind that this year, the year of evangelism, the Lord's placed on my heart, church, I, I don't know how else to say it. We're going to see some very exciting things. We are. But I don't want to miss out on the best thing. We're, we're, we're going to see good things. We've already seen good things. But I'm tired of the church of Jesus Christ settling for only that which is good. When he died so that we can have that which is best. Let us pick up our mantle. Let's pick up our commission. Let's take our marching orders and, and let's pray. Let's get on our knees and say, God, give me a great passion for the lost. And then let's go out into the world and let's pray that God will put people in our path. You say, Pastor, I'm scared. I don't know what to say. Well, come to church and you're going to learn. We're going to give you principles on how to share your faith. All you have to do is tell your story, but I get being scared. The disciples, they were, they were hesitant. They worshiped Jesus, but some doubted. I get that. The disciples, they saw Jesus with their physical eyes and they still doubted. They still were hesitant. I, I get being hesitant 2,000 years later. I get it. I do. But he said, stop. Stop. All authority in heaven on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will always be with you even until the end of the age. We have his authority and we have his promise that he's gonna be with us. What do we have?